You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan, uh, for that introduction. And uh, it's, it's great to be here with you this morning, church. It was awesome to confess my sins with you. Uh, it was awesome to sing praises to the Lord with you. So I just want to say it's, it's, uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Um, as Pastor Jordan mentioned, my family and I and four other families uh, from Midland recently moved down to Dripping Springs uh, to begin the work of planting, uh, Lord willing, Redeemer Dripping Springs. And we are uh, very excited about that. I'm excited to, to be a part of what God is doing, uh, like Jordan said, in the Austin metro area. And uh, we're just excited to be down here, and uh, we're excited to be here this morning. we got some of our core team families here and Dripping Springs families here, uh, and I'm just glad to gather and worship. So I say I'm excited and honored to be here at Redeemer Round Rock uh, for a couple of reasons. I love this church. I've gotten to worship with you all probably about a half a dozen times, and I've loved it every time. Um, and I love your leadership, the leadership of this church. Um, God has used Jordan Elder... Um, David Duquet, Rick Bowers, not just to help, uh, help me prepare to plant a church, uh, but to make me more like Christ. And so uh, you have phenomenal leaders. Um, follow them as they follow Jesus. And I want to say that. I say that for, for a couple of reasons. One, I just want you to know that as a church, you're blessed. Jordan's a phenomenal leader, uh, gifted preacher, and you guys just have great leadership. So you're blessed to be a part of this church. And then second, I want to say that because it kind of ties into the sermon, my sermon a little bit today. I'm going to talk about leaders and leadership, and so I think that's fitting to kind of uh, to begin with that. So thinking about the text that we just read, it's one of Jesus' most favorite, I mean, most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that Jesus performed that's, that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell of this miracle of Jesus miraculously feeding this enormous crowd of people. Matthew tells us that that that, that number did not include women and children. So that's just 5,000 men, not including women and children. So the crowd was probably like 10,000. And Jesus miraculously feeds them all with two fish sandwiches. So it's, uh, it's his most famous miracle. And there's a ton of application and incredible lessons in it for us this morning that are relevant and, uh, but probably the most common thing I've heard said about this passage is, is, you know, give your best to Jesus, give him all that you've got, and watch, watch what he does with it. Watch him multiply it. And I think that's good, and that's true, and that's an appropriate application of this text. But I think Mark is showing us something so much more about Jesus and who Jesus is in this miracle. Um, and so that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Mark's going to show us that Jesus is our great shepherd and our satisfying savior. And uh, so I'm excited to look at, look at that and get into that with you. Um, but first, I, want, I, want, I just want to hit on something else in this text and ask a question. Why was this enormous crowd following Jesus? Why were, why were 10,000 people literally walking along the shoreline, as we just heard read, why were they following Jesus? Like, why do we follow leaders? Why do we follow 
why do we follow our heroes and our role models? What is it about them that makes us desire to follow him? Why is this huge crowd following Jesus? What was it about him? Our leaders, why do we listen to their sermons? Why do we read all their books and listen to all their podcasts? What makes them worth following? As I was thinking about this week, think about your leaders and role models in your life. What is it about them that makes you want to follow them? As I, said, I, was, as I was starting to say, as I was thinking about this this week, um, my, my dad came to my mind, and I didn't know he was going to be here, but he's here. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, so that was a shock to look over there and see him. But I was thinking about my dad. My dad is a leader that I want to be like. My dad's one of my heroes, a role model. I'm grateful for him. But what is it about my dad that makes me want to follow him? There's other leaders that I like to follow. I like Albert Moeller. Um, I like a few other guys, you know, read, I like to read articles, and there's guys I listen to their podcasts and stuff, but particularly my dad. What is it about him that, that makes me want to follow him? And, I, and the answer that I came to basically is twofold. It's, it's one, that he has skills, um, wisdom, um, uh, gifts, and, and things that I desire to have. So my dad possesses these things that I desire to have. He's a great communicator. He's a great conflict resolver. He's good with people. Do anything for anyone. Like, I, I admire that, and I desire that, so I'm going to follow him. I'm going to call him and ask for advice and talk to him. But another reason, I think, is because he's in a place where I want to be. So he's, he's made wise financial decisions. He's been married for, to my mom for 45 years, 45 years-ish, for a long time. Uh, happily married, serving the Lord together, using their resources to bless others. I see that, and I'm like, I want to I be there. If the Lord tarries and I make it to 67, uh, that's what I want to be doing in my life, happily married to my wife, serving the church with her, using our resources to bless people. So that's, that's why I follow my dad's leadership. And I think the same is true for all of us. We follow leaders because they have something we want, something we desire, a skill set, the ability to communicate or um, whatever talent it is. They have something that we want, and we follow them in hopes to attain it because they're either somewhere we want to be or they're headed where we want to go, and we believe that they can take us there. I think we see this in this miracle uh, that Mark records for us. Quite literally, this crowd was running along the shore. I can imagine it. The disciples are in a boat trying to get away to a desolate place, and they're not going across the lake. They're just going along the shoreline, and people are running along the shoreline, just watching them, trying to follow them, waiting to see where they're going to stop. They were following Jesus for a reason. They were looking to him for something. They may not have known exactly what they were looking for, uh, but they had hope that Jesus could satisfy them. So they followed him. They followed him. And Jesus proves to them and to us that he's worth following. So in this series in Mark, who is this Jesus? Mark tells us and shows us that Jesus is our great shepherd and our satisfying savior. A good leader, like yes, worth following, uh, but so much more. Jesus is the long-awaited shepherd savior who can truly satisfy the longings of our souls. Jesus is our great shepherd, so follow him. And Jesus is our satisfying savior. 
enjoy him and worship him. So those are kind of my two main points this morning that I want to dig into a little bit. Number one, follow Jesus, our great shepherd. Jesus is our great shepherd. Look at verses 30 through 40 with me in your Bibles. See what Mark reveals to us about Jesus, our great shepherd. The Bible talks a lot about shepherds. Uh, the, uh, the shepherds were responsible for knowing their sheep, knowing their flock, leading their flock, feeding their flock, and protecting their flock. Those are the four primary roles of a shepherd um, over a Godly leaders were to be like shepherds who looked over a, a group of people, a flock of people, often referred to in Scripture as a flock of sheep. Um, and it was a bad thing when sheep did not have a shepherd. It was a bad thing when, she, I don't know if you've ever seen sheep without a shepherd. Uh, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. They're pinging from one place to the next. I was hunting in El Dorado one time, and the guy had some sheep uh, so he could get his ag exemption or whatever's, whatever that is, livestock exemption. Um, and we saw just sheep randomly. Like, he didn't shepherd them. There was just sheep, and they didn't know what they were doing. They were scattered, wandering around, because uh, they had no shepherd. So it's a bad thing when sheep didn't have a shepherd, and it was always a bad thing when God's people did not have a godly shepherd. This entire passage that we just heard read is saturated in shepherd imagery, and it kind of mirrors the Exodus. And if you think about this passage connected with the passage that comes next, I'm sure that y'all look at next week, uh, you see a clear picture of the Exodus. In the Exodus, Moses was like a shepherd to God's people. Moses led God's people through the wilderness, and Jesus is the great shepherd who brings the people to a desolate place. Look at the similarities. Jesus is the great shepherd who brings these people to a desolate place. Moses organized people into sections by tribe, the nation of Israel, while they were in the wilderness. Jesus organizes these people into small groups. This tells us Jesus was about small groups, gospel communities, company. Moses asked God to miraculously provide food for people, which God does by sending man and quail, and Jesus miraculously provides food for these people. Moses led people through the wilderness to the promised land, and then there was a miraculous water crossing as the priest stepped into the Jordan River and it stopped flowing. The people could pass through on dry ground. Jesus leads these people to a desolate place, miraculously feeds them, and then it's followed by a miraculous water crossing. It's followed by Jesus walking on the water. Y'all will look at that next week. So there's just tons of parallels between this passage, uh, shepherd imagery, and, 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 and the Exodus, where Moses was shepherding God's people through the wilderness. But Mark is showing us that Jesus is a greater shepherd than Moses. And Jesus is leading a greater Exodus. So let's look at some of the ways that Jesus is our great shepherd. Number one, Jesus cared for his followers. We see this in verse 30. These newly appointed apostles, Jesus, a few chapters before, Jesus appoints these apostles, commissions them, sends them out to go preach the gospel of the kingdom, to go from city to city. Don't take any money with you, just go preach. So sends them out on this mission trip. And then in the very first verse of our passage today, they're reporting back to Jesus. And they're saying, hey, we did it. They're telling him of all the things that they did and taught. We, we did what you asked us to do. And Jesus says, awesome, like, great. You've been ministering, you've been serving. Let's get away to a desolate place and rest for a while. So you see Jesus caring for his followers. He knew they were limited. He knew that they needed rest, healthy rest. He recognizes that they've been serving. And he knows that healthy rest primarily comes 
in spending alone time with God. Also, I think it's important to notice here uh, that true rest and time with God are typically found in wilderness places. This is a theme that runs through Scripture. Time with God, God is... God most clearly reveals himself to people in the wilderness. He calls people out of the distractions and into the wilderness and communes with them there. So Jesus is saying, caring for his followers, caring for his disciples, his his future replacements. And he's saying, let's get away for a while and rest. And I think that's a good word for us today. I say we live in a microwave society culture where everything is instant. We get everything instant and, and everything is full of distractions. We walk around with fully functioning computers in our pockets, and we're just distracted all the time. We have access to information uh, instantly, and there is always something pulling at our attention to distract us. Work from home. When you get home from work, work from home. Uh, Just constant distractions, constant busyness, constant noise. And so God calls us, woos us out into the wilderness where we can be free and spend time with him. So do you make time to be alone with God? Do you make time to get by yourself and spend time in his presence, in his word? That is where you will find rest. Jesus cares for his followers. He cares for his followers then, and he cares for his followers today. Jesus is our great shepherd, and he wants what's best for his people. If you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus cares for you. Maybe you need to hear that today. And if you're not a believer yet, You can come to Jesus through confessing your sin and turning from your sin and trusting in him. And he will be your great shepherd who cares for you as you follow him. So number one, Jesus cared for his his followers, his disciples. He cared for them. Number two, Jesus had compassion for wanderers. Jesus had compassion on wanderers. Verse 32 and 33 tell us that Jesus was trying to get away and spend some time with his team, but many people saw him and followed him. They're running along the shoreline, following them, not allowing Jesus and his disciples to get away and rest. And what is Jesus' response to them? Is he like, nope, uh, check my calendar. This day is blocked off. Um, I'm, I, I can't meet with you people. Is he frustrated by them? No. Does he, is, is he saying, I read, I've read the book Boundaries, this is the boundary, I've got to put this up and protect it, and I can't meet with you right now. I cannot, I cannot handle this interruption. No. What does it say? How does Jesus respond to them? It says he went ashore, verse 34, he went ashore and saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, wandering around aimlessly. They were wandering around without the one thing that they needed most, Jesus, the shepherd savior. And Jesus had compassion on them. The word compassion in the Greek is only used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. It's only used to describe him. And it it speaks to like this guttural, heartbroken uh, feeling in the depth of who you are. It goes far deeper than human concern or empathy for people in pain. This compassion was divine. And this love that Jesus had for these people was divine. He recognized that they were wandering around in life and needed, and needed direction and in need of a relationship with God, and his heart was broken over it. 
And maybe that's someone in here today. Do you feel like you're wandering? You feel like you're wandering around in life without a purpose? Jesus is moved with compassion for you. And he calls you to come and follow him. So Jesus cared for his followers. Jesus had compassion on the wanderers. And third, Jesus fed his followers. Jesus fed his followers. Jesus cared for his followers, had compassion on them. But what did his compassion drive him to do? He feeds them. He feeds them. And how does he feed them? It's fascinating. Look at verse 34. Look at the very end of verse 34. First, he feeds this flock what they need the most. And that's the truth of God's word. He feeds them what they needed most. Look at verse 34, the end. It says, and he began to teach them many things. Crowd following him. They all gather around. And what does he do? First thing he does, he he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. You people are lost. And what you need most is a relationship with your creator. So he begins to teach them many things. So he literally starts the feeding. Jesus feeds his followers. This feeding started long before the fish and the, and the loaves were broken. This feeding started, this feast started when Jesus begins teaching. His people, the, he, when Jesus begins teaching his people his word, he knows that will nourish and feed their souls and enable them to know God. And that's the most loving thing he could have done. Because he loved them, he taught them. So do you ask, I want to ask you, do you believe that the most loving thing that you can do for someone is to share the good news of Jesus with them? It's to teach them about God, their creator? And that's hard in our culture today. Because many people are very resistant to the truth that they so desperately need, to the message of Jesus. But are we willing to share that with them in grace and love, in a loving way, in a gracious way, even if in them? I think that's something we should consider. Jesus, the great shepherd, saw a huge crowd of wandering lost people, and the first thing he did was he taught them many things, taught them the truth about God because he loved them. Next, uh, Jesus, our great shepherd, is moved by love. Uh, to miraculously feed these people physical food. So Jesus feeds his followers. He feeds them the word of God, and then he feeds them actual physical food. Look at verses 35 through 40. I love the uh, observant disciples that we see here. Let's look at this. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And I'm sure Jesus was looking around. Yes. Yes, it is. Very observant. Good. This is a desolate place. This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Jesus looks to the west and sees the sunset. Yes, the hour is late. Uh, I knew that. Captain Obvious. There you go. And then his disciples say, send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and, vill- and villages and so they can buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? And give it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups of green grass, in groups on the green grass, more shepherd imagery. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So we see Jesus caring for these people's 
physical needs as well. Jesus feeds his people physically. He's not apathetic towards our physical needs. But he knows that our greatest need is knowing him. So he sends his spirit to teach us many things. He does the same today. So like a good shepherd, Jesus is about to continue feeding his flock. This time through a miraculous feeding, through a miraculous meal. And don't miss that it's a miraculous meal that satisfies. So follow Jesus, our great shepherd. Now let's look at worship Jesus and enjoy him as our great, as our satisfying savior. What does it mean for for a thing or an experience to be satisfying? A quick Google search revealed that something is satisfying when it produces pleasure or contentment by providing what is wanted or needed. So something is satisfying when it produces pleasure or contentment by providing what is needed or wanted. And remember, that's the impulse that causes us to follow our leaders. We see something, we desire it, we see something, we want it in them, and so we follow them in hopes that they will satisfy that need. But no matter what they're able to teach us, no matter how close I am to uh, becoming like the leaders and heroes that I admire, no matter how close I am, no matter how many of those skills I attain, academic achievements or whatever, there's still unsatisfaction there. Everything that is tainted with, 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 with unsatisfaction. Jesus is the only thing that can truly satisfy. And that's why he's our satisfying savior. There's nothing in this world that can truly, fully, genuinely, eternally satisfy our souls except for the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it makes me... It makes me remember Christmas as a kid. Uh, it's similar to uh, what, I, what I think of as Christmas as a kid. I remember there'd be, there'd be one thing that you want really bad. I remember in sixth grade, it was rollerblades. You want rollerblades really bad, and you focus on these rollerblades, you think about them for months. Christmas Eve night, you can't sleep, you're awake. Uh, go get my sisters, go to my parents' room. They say, go back to bed, it's only 3.30. And then so we wait, lie there awake. So, can't wait to get in the living room and see if I got these rollerblades. Go out there, Christmas morning, rollerblades are there. Like, I'm fully content, right? I'm fully satisfied. I did it. I got what I wanted. Like, I attained it. But no. Two weeks later, done rollerblading, and I'm riding a stunt bike. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't satisfy. The Christmas gift, you play with it for two weeks, and then it's bored. The iPhone, it, it you know, you get, it, you get a 10, and then they come out with a whatever whatever they're on now, 12, 12 or 13, I don't even know where they're at. Mine's a seven, so I'm, I'm way behind. But this, this whole thing, this seeking satisfaction, it really plagues us our entire life. I mean, it may start as rollerblades and, and go to a stunt bike, but then it goes to a car. If I could just get this car, I'd be satisfied. Uh, then it goes, if I could just go to this college, or if I could just get this career, or if I could just get this raise, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be satisfied. But no matter how far we go into it, it's never fully satisfying. And that's because Jesus is the only thing that can truly, supernaturally, satisfies our souls. So we should enjoy and worship him. But Mark gives us a beautiful picture of this in this miracle, verses 41 through 44. Look at them with me. I'm going to read them. It says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and and said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketful. 
baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men. Mark presents to us this incredible portrait of Jesus, a Savior who satisfies, who creates a miraculous feast from five pieces of bread and two fish. Basically, two po' boys. And then he feeds it to a crowd of 10,000 people. Verse 42 says, And all who ate were satisfied. All who ate this feast, all who were at this feast, were completely full and satisfied. So I want to I I draw your attention to two little elements of this feast. Number one, it's a supernatural feast. And then number two, it's a, it's a satisfying feast, as we've talked about. But the supernatural element of this feast is nothing more than an unexplainable law of nature-defying miracle. It's a miracle. There have been several attempts made by liberal theologians to explain away this miracle, um, uh, saying it can be explained by, by natural, natural ways. Some say it was an ethical miracle. Okay? So some, some theologians will say uh, that this, someone there had thought ahead and packed a lunch. Some of them had thought ahead and packed a lunch. And as Jesus is teaching... He realized it gets late, it's time to eat. And this person, who, these people who were prepared, uh, opened their lunch, noticed the person next to them didn't have any lunch, so they began to share. And that's how all the people ate. It was a miracle of sharing. That's how some have explained it. The most ridiculous explanation I've heard was that this was a planned, deceptive event by Jesus. That he knew the caves, and so he had a cave stocked full of loaves and fish previously. And then he leads the crowd to this cave, and, and he, Jesus probably had long, they had long flowing robes, their cloaks on, and he had his disciples like in a bucket brigade behind him, passing him loaves and fish up through his, up through his robe as he hands it out to the people. So it was a deceptive miracle. Uh, none of those explanations make any sense, and uh, nothing in the text hints to, to either one of those. Um, this is just a miracle. And, note, and I think it's fascinating Notice that Jesus did use his disciples in this miracle. Like they weren't a bucket brigade, but as he blessed the bread and broke it and gave it to them, he used them to go pass it out to the people. And God still does that today. He uses his people to accomplish his mission. God uses his people to accomplish his mission. And it's a privilege to be a part of that mission. So this is a supernatural feast. It was a miracle. Jesus took this meager bit of food, miraculously multiplied it, and then he had his disciples distribute it to the crowd. And second, this was a satisfying feast. More importantly, this was a satisfying feast. And notice, this feast comes right after the feast at Herod's palace. In the, in the, in the passage of Scripture that comes right before this one, we, we read about another feast that happened. We've talked about, y'all talked about, probably looked at that last week. Two very different feasts. Jesus' feast is far greater than Herod's. Herod's feast, I'm going to compare and contrast the two. Herod's feast, only the elite were invited. There was only noblemen and kings and and rulers there. The, The food was prepared by gourmet chefs. This feast was characterized by drunkenness and lust. And it ended with the murder of the Baptist. That's what characterized Herod's feast. Jesus' feast, all were welcome. His devout followers, wanderers, farmers, shepherds, tax collectors, Pharisees, Sadducees, prostitutes and sinners, all welcome at Jesus' feast. And his food was miraculously provided by himself. 
And his feast was characterized by compassion in the teaching of God's word. And this Jesus' feast ends with a multitude of people, every one of them satisfied, fully and completely satisfied. When Jesus feeds his sheep, he does it right. Um, it's not like the airplane snack that you get. When they ask you if you're hungry, you're taxiing at DFW for two hours, and they come by and say, would you like something to eat? Yes, that'd be great. You get your bag of pretzels, open it up, find out it's 60% air. And you got your seven pretzels there on your table. You're rationing them out. Okay, I can eat two now. Another hour, I'll eat two. And you just eat them all. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. He fully satisfies. Fully satisfying meal. It's a feast. A feast of truth and a feast of food. Plenty of food left over. Twelve baskets full. He's a satisfying Savior. So, are you unsatisfied today? Do you feel the unsatisfaction that comes from not knowing God? Do you desire something that produces joy and pleasure by meeting the deepest needs of your heart? Know that this can only be found in being at peace with God, and that is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in him and enjoy and worship him as the satisfying Savior. That's what Mark shows us. Jesus is our great shepherd who knows his flock and feeds his flock, um, leads his flock, provides for their needs. He's also a satisfying Savior. He can satisfy with a meal, but he is the only thing that can truly satisfy our souls. Just as Jesus is still our great shepherd today, he's still our satisfying Savior. So lastly, I just want to end and conclude by, uh, no, I want to point out that this meal points to or has many similarities with two other meals. Jesus' final meal, and then the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's similarities to Jesus' final meal, his last supper, when he took the bread, blessed it, and then said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. And Jesus broke it and passed it around. And he took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, and he passed it around. And today, the Lord's Supper is taken. When the Lord's Supper is taken, there will be godly shepherds who will invite all who have trusted in Jesus to do this, to celebrate this, to eat of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. And as, as we do this as believers, Jesus, our great compassionate shepherd, feeds us and he nourishes our soul through the Lord's Supper. But it also points to another meal, the meal that we get to share with Jesus in eternity, the feast that we get to share with Jesus in eternity. It's often called the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Read about it in Revelation 19. This is where Jesus will sit face to face with us. It won't be bread and juice anymore. This is us sitting face to face with Jesus and him nourish, nourishing and satisfying our souls. Isaiah describes it like this. I want to read this one passage. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of morrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. So if that is what we have to look forward to, right, let's follow Jesus, our great shepherd, today. Celebrate that. Let's enjoy worshiping him today. 
if that is what we have to look forward to. A meal with Jesus, no death, no tears, no cancer, no conflict, no addiction, no sin. Just us, his sheep, sitting with our great shepherd, sharing a meal with him. That's what we have to look forward to. So let's joyfully follow him where he leads and find our joy in worshiping him in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just grateful for who you are, Lord, first. We want to praise you as our sovereign creator, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. We worship you this morning as this God. We thank you so much for your son Jesus, who you sent so that we could be made right with you. I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you this morning, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see their sin. I pray that you would draw them to your son, Jesus, for salvation, that he would be their great shepherd and their satisfying savior. And I pray for all the believers in this room who are going through all sorts of different trials and challenges right now in life. And I thank you uh, that your spirit lives in them. And I pray that you would open up our eyes just to see you as our great shepherd and to trust you as a satisfying savior and not to look for satisfaction anywhere else. And we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it encouraged our hearts uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and we worship you because you're worthy. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.